live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about the land of movies, TV, comics, and more, and we definitely want to talk to you about this. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Podchaser. Drop a five-star review while you're there. Check out the T Public Store where there's currently a sale going on this week. You mm-hmm. definitely want to get that ODPH swag. All that and so much more can be found at the website. So simple. odphpodcast.com. And always remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod. And let us talk about the big news going on this week in the land of movies. Because I don't think there's another movie that's got this much buzz around it than The Suicide Squad returning to the big screen. No, I, I, I know there are other movies out that are doing fairly well. Uh, Jungle Cruise among them uh, broke the previous records of Fast 9, Black Widow, and something else. I forget what the other one other one was. Um, but, you know, Jungle Cruise is doing very well. But now I have the one everyone's talking about, Suicide Squad. Absolutely. And obviously, if you've been following the saga of the film version of the Suicide Squad, it has been a very interesting ride. As the director chair turns. Yes, because as we know, the Suicide Squad originally debuted on the big screen in 2016, directed yep. by David Ayer, yep. with a silent credit to John Ostrander, who, if you know the comics, you know he is one of the most classic Suicide Squad writers in all of history. Sure. And to take the team that is often known as Task Force X and bring them to the big screen, which the concept is very simple. Yeah. They are criminals that are part of a secret government project and given suicide missions that basically if they'd fail, well, they're expendable to begin with anyway. Yep. Uh, They they get sent into some of the worst places that, you know, the government or various agencies can't get into that. Hey, if things fail, it's not the worst thing in the world. They're villains. Nobody's going to miss them. Uh, And also, let's face it, they can't say no. No, they have no option because they are led by the one and only Amanda Waller who is one of the most dominant forces in the DC universe. Uh-huh. And when she puts her fist down, trust me, everybody is listening. And to see how she's done this, even with the failsafe of putting explosives in their heads, yeah. if somebody decides to go off the game plan, she has no hesitation about killing them. Nope. She's one of the most fascinating characters in all the comics, I have to say. And to see the runs in the original run of Suicide Squad have been fantastic. Ostrander's runs, I, I can't recommend enough. If you really want to get the vibe of what this team is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then when we finally got the movie version, even though we have to give a quick shout-out to Arrow, and we have seen Task Force X appear on the earlier seasons of Arrow. Yep. And I thought they were phenomenal. And when the focus was shifted to movies, we didn't see them on there anymore, which was a true, true travesty, in it's my a opinion. bizarre time and place for uh, DC movies slash comics. Yes. Or TV, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. It's just kind of a really murky situation, in my opinion. But we got the movie in 2016, like we said, and met with a lot of mixed results. Yeah. I mean... Coming off the heels of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and... The, you know, the, the 
criticism for that film. And there were, of course, the very public reshoots to try and make it funnier, you know, lighten the tone a little bit. And whether that worked or not is up to your own personal you know, opinion, you know, but mixed results. Definitely mixed results. I mean, obviously, Will Smith is dead shot. Margot Robbie was playing Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Viola Davis is playing Amanda Waller. Perfect casting. Perfect casting, too, by the way. Yeah. Waller is Sam, J- Sam Jackson is to Nick Fury as Viola Davis is to Amanda Waller. Mm hmm. They nailed the casting on that pretty spot on, in my opinion. And the movie was a mixed bag, I guess. It's okay. I like, it was just, it was okay. Yeah. I didn't hate it as much no. as other people have hated it. No. It was just one of those situations where the Suicide Squad is not a happy place. It's, a, it's not everybody's cup of tea. Exactly. If you read the comics, it's very dark. It's very gritty. There's not a lot of hope. No. Ever. No. But it's a great read when it's done right. So you have to really take that into consideration. When this movie came out, though, they did try implementing a lot of different things, and it just didn't translate. And obviously, being in the Snyderverse at the time, there was tie-ins a little bit. Jared Leto's Joker made an appearance. Yep. Batman made an appearance for all of, like, once. Or no, the two, bonus two scenes. Yep. Well, no, he was also in the beginning of the film when oh, Joker was driving through the the city in his like chrome purple lamborghini which is still the wildest thing i've ever seen joker do uh and he and batfleck landed on top of it yeah it was one of the crazier scenes in the movie but it just didn't really translate and obviously talk of another suicide squad movie went away for a while yeah and then james gunn came to the dcu i mean obviously this was coming off the heels of him being released from marvel Mm mm-hmm and that whole mess that was going on there, so he wasn't part of Guardians 3. DC brought him in uh, with Warner Brothers to do Suicide Squad. Well, they brought him in to do whatever the hell he damn well pleased because it's been very well documented by James Gunn in multiple interviews. You can look it up that when Warner Brothers, DC, whoever, approached him to do a film for them, and he said, yeah, what would you like me to do? They basically gave him a proverbial blank check, blank sheet of paper, and go, do whoever the hell you want. It's your choice. Yeah, and it worked out as, to, to perfection, in my opinion, because to really capture the voice of this band of misfits, you need the guy who brought the Guardians of the Galaxy to life. Yeah. And there's no better choice, in my opinion, he, and he played this very well. Because I know there was talk that he was offered Superman and he turned it down. Yeah. And I think that's a smart move, too, because I don't know how that would have translated. I'm not saying he couldn't have done it, but I just don't know how that would have worked because... He is always good about juggling around characters and really pulling the opposites together. Sure. And with the Suicide Squad, that is when they're drawn best, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. because they're not a team. Yeah. They're forced to work together. Yeah. You've seen instances in the comics where they've tried killing each other, and sometimes they have. Oh, yeah. It's one of those weird concepts that you need the perfect person to helm the ship to really make it sail. Oh, yeah. You're you're absolutely right, just because I think back to when Guardians 1 was coming out that, I'll be honest— had no idea who any of the characters were. Recognized a couple of them. I, I recognized Groot and I recognized Rock. I'm like, okay, I recognize him, but I don't know too much about him. He he hooked me into that movie and he got me really invested in those characters. You can say the same with the Suicide Squad, either the one that's coming out or the one that had already come out, you know, where you look at the cast of characters and, okay, people know who Harley Quinn is. Mm-hmm. You know, 
a few folks, you know, looking at the first film might know who Deadshot is from video games or even if they've read the comics, but by and large, he's not a real household name, you know, and you, especially the first one, you look at the cast of characters outside of, you know, Amanda Waller, who, you know, fans of the animated shows will know because she was very featured, very prominently, you know, in Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, uh, made an appearance in Batman Beyond for a couple episodes, you know. She was kind of known, but the rest of that cast of characters not really known. So you look at what Gunn did with Guardians of the Galaxy for somebody like me, who, like I said, didn't really know a whole lot about those characters, got me invested. I'm in the same spot here with this movie as I was the first Suicide Squad movie. I know who Harley Quinn is, you know, and I and I know who uh, the guy returned, uh, Captain Boomerang, because he was in the first movie. I know who he is. Mm-hmm. The rest of this cast outside of Amanda Waller couldn't tell you who the hell they are. Well, that's what brought this movie to a really interesting scenario because this is not a sequel, but they are borrowing a lot of the same actors and actresses to return mm-hmm. for this movie. And it's almost like a soft reboot. Kind of. The timeline is not exactly spelled out very clearly, and we don't have any spoilers for this. We just have what we've seen off the trailers. I've really been trying to duck getting any spoilers because... Yeah, there are some prominent folks tweeting spoilers out, so be careful. Yeah, exactly. And why they're not listening to the 72-hour embargo is beyond me. I digress. But when we saw this trailer, it definitely had a lot of questions that we were like, what is going on here? Sure. Because we did see some familiar faces. Obviously, we know Margot Robbie is coming back to resume her role as Harley Quinn. Yep. We do know that Joel Kinnaman is coming back as Rick Flagg, who is the... Uh, perennial good guy amongst the Suicide Squad. He's, yep. he's the soldier that follows orders directly from Amanda Waller, who is being played once again by Viola Davis. Jay Courtney, who you mentioned too, as Captain Boomerang, is back. And then after that, this is where everything gets a little crazy, a little, to, yeah. to put it mildly. Yeah. Because the casting, we definitely have a lot of new faces a part of the Suicide Squad this year. Yeah. Idris Elba is playing Bloodsport. Yep. Now in now in uh, Fortnite. Yes, now in Fortnite too. Michael Rooker is playing Savant. Mm-hmm. We do know that Nathan Fillion is playing TDK. Yep. And the one and only John Cena uh-huh. is playing Peacemaker. Basically, the clone of the U.S. agent on steroids, in my opinion. And John Cena might have allegedly stolen all of the costumes. Yes, because he is definitely still wearing a lot of those costumes out. In fact, at the premiere, yep. he showed up as Peacemaker. I don't doubt it. Yeah, there was a little scene where he actually met uh, AEW superstar Miro. Yeah. And they had a cool exchange. So with this cast, we do know there's a lot of C and D list characters sure. from the DCU involved. And that's what you need for the Suicide Squad because, let's face it, the cast is pretty big. Yeah. Not everybody's it, coming home. The names are you know, no, the name you know, the cast is impressive. You look, the names are impressive because one of the first promo images for this film, I think, was a DC fandom last year or whatever mm-hmm. it was, where they didn't even show any footage. They just showed what the characters look like, not even like the actors or actresses in their costume, just what the characters look like, who the actor or actress is playing them, and what the character name is. And, you know, they did that typical thing when you have a stacked uh, cast list. Like, I remember Knives Out did it, where they just list all the names, and you go, holy shit, that's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot of big names. Like you mentioned, Pete Davidson is in this movie as well. Sean Gunn is in this movie as well. You know, you you look at the name, but then you look at the list of character names, and you're like, all right, like I mentioned, heard of uh, Captain Boomerang because he was in the last movie, heard of... Uh, Colonel Rick Flagg in the last one, Harley Quinn in the last one. Okay, get that. But the rest of it is kind of unknowns, not really household names. And I think that's a good thing because when you put too many 
uh, big name villains in it. Like if you were to think of if Batman's rogues were to team up and do a film together type of thing, you know, so you get Penguin, Mr. Freeze, uh, uh, Two-Face, Joker, you know, Killer Croc of the, of the like. You're setting expectations way too goddamn high. That, yeah. that everyone's going to expect, oh my God, all these great villains, this is going to be the greatest movie of all time. Well, that's the one thing with the Suicide Squad through their original runs to currently. They've never had that franchise character that you knew was untouchable. Mm-hmm. I mean, the character core of Suicide Squad that's always been there has been Deadshot, yep. who was played by Will Smith in the first movie. Which is not in this one. Not for any disagreements. Literally, his, his schedule wouldn't allow it. Yeah, the scheduling just didn't work out. You've always had Captain Boomerang around there. You've now had Harley Quinn being associated with them. She's sure. the most recent at, but in every carnation of the book that's come out since, she has been a part of that team oh, yeah. for the most part. That you have that core group that stays together with Rick Flag as well. Mm-hmm. That that's your basis. And they're not the household names of the Justice League. They're no. not but they are given the task of about taking those characters down. I mean, most famously now that we have the video game that's coming out. Yes. And the Suicide Squad is supposed to be hunting Superman uh-huh. and the Good Justice luck. League. Yeah. So I mean, how's that gonna pan out? But that's what makes this character group interesting because they're not on that level, but they're given those astronomical missions that they're mm-hmm. not supposed to survive, but yet they do. We'll say they're the Suicide Squad is given, well, suicide missions. Yeah, and just to see how they survive, I mean, that's what makes it so fascinating because you have moments that they don't get along. In fact, I know one moment in the comic that Captain Boomerang has an argument with somebody at a meeting. Sure. And when they're out in the line of fire, they're getting heavily shot at. He shoves that person in the line of fire to escape. Yeah, and I mean, you think of the last movie, which, again, say what you will about the movie, but you just think about the premise of what they were given the task to do. If it were like Flash, Superman, and I'll say Green Lantern, if we're talking the comics, uh, Justice League lineup, you know, if, if it just Superman, Flash, and Green Lantern, that mission... In and out in maybe two minutes. Mm -hmm. No issue. Sure. But you look at what that task was given to do, and some of them had powers. You know, you had the fire with the one character, Captain Boomerang, Harley with her uh, wildness and unpredictability. But not the most gifted individuals, and I mean that with the, they don't have the greatest set of abilities. So it's it's an interesting watch just to see, all right, interesting cast of characters, how the hell are they going to pull this off? Exactly. And from the trailer that we've seen, they are given an astronomical task yet again. Like I say, timeline is up in the air of where they are. Mm-hmm. It does almost seem like it's a it's a very clean reboot. It doesn't really feel like it's present time, but it doesn't really feel like it's a past test tense. So the, D- the DC timeline at this point is what it is. Don't try figuring it out. You'll just give yourself a migraine. Exactly. Because for me, when I saw this original trailer, it had like a 70s action yep. vibe to it. Yep. So that's where I kind of set my head at. But once I start watching the trailer, especially the most recent one that came out, that we do know who the villain is going to be, and that is one Starro, who if you are very familiar with the Justice League, you know who that villain is. Is that that starfish-looking thing? Yes. Okay, yeah, they're not hiding that at all because at the premiere that took place uh, over – I think it showed at like either a film festival or they had a premiere or something last week. I think it was premiere overseas. They had a premiere overseas in Europe uh, for the 3D showing or whatever showing of the movie. They were giving out promos of like these special glasses, and Starro was on the goddamn glasses. And there was a giant Starro statue balloon thing in out, out on the red carpet. So, yeah, they're not hiding it at all who the villain at this point yeah which i mean like i say to cast starro in there and that's kind of a wild scenario as well too it's a very cool throwback to the justice league oh absolutely so we know the threat is that big and that absolutely wild to see because once you start seeing big starfish 
infecting people. Yeah. And doing what they do. If we don't get, like, an alien type of scene, I might be a little disappointed. Yo, you're going to get something wild here because the one thing that we've seen with the trailer thus far is they are not afraid to go a lot of different places. I was say it's R-rated, so they're uh, at no holds barred to what they can do. And also, James Gunn was given no limitations on to who he can kill off in this movie. Yes. He, he, he went to DC, Warner Brothers, and said, hey, all right, I'm going to do this movie. Is there anyone that for future movies I shouldn't kill off? And they go, nah, do what you want. Yeah, I mean, I think the only safe one walking out of here is Harley Quinn. Maybe. Uh, from what uh, Margot Robbie said, she's not sure what the future holds for the character just because there's nothing planned right now. Yeah, but she definitely said she's interested in coming back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like that's oh, the yeah. one thing because I know some places were running that she was uh, done like some other uh, certain superheroes right now. But this was not a situation of that, that she just doesn't have anything lined up. But I'm guaranteeing you this. Once this movie comes out, and the only thing that I can say that we know of for, from this movie is it is very, very highly praised by mm-hmm. critics and fans thus mm-hmm. far. Debuted at a perfect 100 on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, 99%, but they're saying 100. Yeah. and But to be in that area, too, and that's the highest rated DC film of all time. So I'm pulling it up right now just to get the latest score. Currently sitting with 120 reviews, a uh, 97% score. But still, that has got to be the highest rated one of all time, especially in the oh, Snyderverse easily. era. Oh, easily. So there's a lot of wind to be going on here. And from seeing the trailer, I'm, like I said, I'm not sure what to expect other than we're going to get a band of misfits fighting a astronomical threat mm-hmm. that is given the Justice League all seven members fits because this is how they actually were brought together if memory serves me right. Uh, I believe so and I'm looking uh, courtesy of RottenTomatoes.com uh, in order so this is under the franchises for DC Comics uh, Man of Steel is sitting there with a uh, 56% uh, uh, critic score Suicide Squad the first one has a 26% critic score uh, Batman v Superman has a 28. Justice League, the uh, theatrical cut, has a 40%. Wonder Woman is the only one that comes close. Well, one of the only ones that comes close. It, it is uh, 93%. Aquaman is 65%. Shazam is the other one that comes close with a 90% uh, critic score. Wonder Woman 84 has 59. Birds of Prey uh, has 79%. The Zack Snyder cut has a 71%. And like I mentioned, uh, The Suicide Squad currently sitting at a 97%. Yeah, so there's a lot of wind to be taken away. And yes, it was Starro was the first one. Brave and Bold 28, way back when. Wow. Absolutely wild to see. But I digress. Going in with this, expectations are high. And for the next wave of the DC film universe, this film has a lot of pressure on it, I think. Yeah. Because we do know after this, Black Adam is coming out starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Mm -hmm. We do know that there is the Matt Reeves Batman movie that is slated to come out as well. Currently filming. Yes. We do know Shazam 2 is in production right now. Yep. So the next wave is going to be very interesting, and unfortunately, as of now, depending on what your emotions are concerning, there is no plans to resume the Snyderverse. Yeah, uh, again, sourcing the Rotten Tomatoes DC Comics franchise page. Uh, It's got listed, because I've got this sorted by release date and then newest. Mm -hmm. The next one up on their thing is Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, which is currently scheduled to come out in 2022. Of course, starring Jason Momoa, Willem Dafoe, Amber Heard, and also directed by James Wan again. Uh, And then after that, in 2022, is, as you mentioned, the Matt Reeves Batman film. Yeah, so transitioning into the next phase of the DCU, how is this looking to you going in from the trailer pad? Uh, it's looking really good. You know, I know they've taken their lumps, which bums me out just because I grew up such a DC 
character fan over the years. Don't get me wrong. I loved, now, like I've said before, didn't read the comics all that much, you know, when I was growing up. But I was certainly tuned into the animated series. And while I did enjoy the Spider-Man animated series and the X-Men one, my butt was glued to the seat whenever Batman the animated series was on. You know, and they had the one episode where the Batmobile got destroyed. I'm like, oh my God, how are, you know, how are they going to do this? So growing up with Batman the animated series, Superman the animated series, the Justice League series, Batman Beyond, Static Shock, you know, the list just goes on and on and on. I was much more of a DC guy as a kid than I was a Marvel kid. So once they started up this this DC universe, you know, film, you know, whatever, I was very excited for it. Oh, going to get a, a Superman movie that, like, let's face it, the only one that came out prior to Man of Steel in my lifetime uh, that I can remember was the Superman Returns, which, not the greatest movie in the world. You know, had the Christopher Nolan movies, which were good, but they're their own separate thing. You know, they don't really tie into anything we've seen presently or even in the past. You know, so when they started doing this, I was very much excited. And then they started taking their lumps and it it hurt me a little bit, you know, Mm. just because I was such a fan of these characters and the concept and Justice League. And, you know, to hear, oh, they're going to do a Justice League movie. I'm like, fuck, yes, let's go. Like, I grew up on this shit like that for me was my Saturday morning cartoons that like I was so amped up for this. And then the movie came out and I'm like, ah, this feels like a, and it's just dud after dud after dud with a couple of gems in there. Wonder Woman, the first one was obviously fantastic. Aquaman was fantastic. Shazam, fantastic. But I'm I'm hoping this is them turning around because as much as I love the Marvel films, I want to love the DC films as much, mm-hmm. if not more, because I love the hell out of Man of Steel. I still, every once in a while, will go back and watch Man of Steel because it is my favorite Superman movie. No disrespect to the Christopher Reeve films, mm-hmm. but just for me, that's the one that came out when I was a fan. Those were all kind of prior to me even being born, you know, so I want to see them do well, and it appears that they're doing so. I mean, I hope that they found the right formula to this, that they tried the Marvel method. They tried the accelerated Marvel method. It did not work. Maybe that'll work for them down the road when they get things a little more established. But it appears right now that, you know, to borrow what Star Wars was originally going to do, it appears that they're doing anthology films where it's its its own separate thing. They're kind of sort of related, but, you know, not really. So I'm hoping DC has found their formula that that works and they can continue to grow from here because I want to see these characters on screen. I want to see stuff from DC. I don't want Marvel to be the dominant force. Like I said, don't get me wrong. Love the Marvel movies. I want to see DC succeed as well. For me, I'm with you on this. I want to see DC succeed. They have a very deep plethora of characters that, for whatever reason, it's extremely hit or miss how they translate on the big screen. Mm -hmm. We've seen very good incarnations of Superman. We've seen ones that are not so hot. Yeah. Same thing can be said about Batman. George Clooney. Yeah. Yeah. But it all goes to the story they're given. And to try bringing... New franchises on there with relative unknown characters. It's a gamble always. Mm-hmm. When the Suicide Squad came out back in 2016, that was a gamble because, let's face it, they didn't have a household name of a character on that roster. No. We did know about Harley Quinn. And right. She, and now she's... Very popular. She's ascended to that level of characters that, yeah, she is a household name now. Oh, yeah. 2016, not was quite... On the, was on the rise. Was on the rise. Wasn't quite there yet. Yes. But now, forget about it. But seeing how this team is put together and how it's going to translate and how it was met with a lukewarm response for the movie. And like I say, some people I know really like it. Some people I know don't. Your opinion is your opinion. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was okay. 
Yeah. Didn't love it, but I was also expecting a lot more because I've read comics. Sure. I was not expecting it to be as bright and colorful in moments as it was. No. And I thought they kind of missed the mark in certain areas. But, however, I thought it was a good benchmark to start with because the one thing that I always complain about is how many times do we need to see a Superman reboot? Yeah. How many times do we need a Batman reboot? How many times do we need to even not reboot the origins? Yeah, we don't need that. No. And especially if you really want to try establishing a wide universe, you need to take shots on characters that are not household names and hope they work. Marvel has done a very good job with this, but they also came up with the idea of one shared universe. Mm-hmm. Everybody's in the same sandbox. Oh, yeah. So it's worked for them. When DC decided to try this, it wasn't established, it hasn't worked, and everybody's going to be kind of forced into puzzles that they just don't fit in. Then they were going, I think they were going under the assumption that like, oh, these are some of the most famous characters on the world. We don't need to do origin stories. Everyone's going to know who they are, which Mm. for two of those folks is true. The rest, not so much. Exactly. So this one was going to be very interesting. And then once James Gunn was over in the DC universe and given the toys to play with, he decided to take a shot with this because I honestly never thought I would see a movie that we would have Javelin, mm-hmm. Polka Dot Man, yeah. uh, Rat Catcher 2 in the movie and on the big screen. I never thought they'd do this, let alone we'd have King Shark getting voiced by Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Which is another mind-blowing moment. But this goes to show where James Gunn is really going to push some envelopes here. This could be an absolutely wild ride. I'm expecting a lot of high action. I'm expecting a lot of pull-at-your-heartstrings drama. Good comedy. With great comedy mixed in. Because they do have a lot of comedians in this movie as well. They do. They also have one of the greatest voice actors of all time in this movie, and one D. Bradley Baker. Which, if you've not heard the name, look up the man's credentials on IMDb. He's been in a lot. Yes. So they've definitely stacked this cast, and especially you have some familiar faces returning. Obviously, Harley Quinn being here by Margot Robbie is a great ad. So, Chris, they've got a doctor in the movie. Doctor who, you might ask? Peter Capaldi. Great call there, Pat. Yeah, he's actually appearing in this. Being the thinker, who we've seen one incarnation recently appear in The Flash. Yep. But I'm expecting him to go to a completely different level with this. Oh, God, yeah. And like I say, with some of the returning players, like I said, Joel Kinman playing Rick Flagg again. You have Jay Courtney playing Captain Boomerang. Yeah. And you have Idris Elba, who's always amazing in whatever he jumps in. Yeah. Being Bloodsport, who is going to be a similar character in a sense to Deadshot as being a mercenary type character yep. with a with a reasons for what he does. Yeah. So they definitely have that element to really succeed here. Factor in John Cena playing Peacemaker. <laughs> there's a lot of win to be had with this movie. And I'm excited to see that. And I'm excited to see where it goes. And like I say, early reviews have been very positive. I hope it is. I hope I go out of this movie and go, man, James Gunn knocked this out of the park. I can't wait to see what he does for a sequel. Because I guarantee you this. I know he said that he's done after this with superhero movies. Let's face it. If this one does like $100 million the first weekend, right. easy. Well, and, and I understand his comments. And, and if that is his actual true opinion, I totally respect that. And I'm not going to get real pissy about it. But I, I kind of view those, my take on those, oh, I'm done with superhero movies. I feel like he's saying those from the same vein and the same train of thought as Daniel Craig had, where you, where we remember after uh, Spectre, you know, Craig said, oh, I'm never doing another Bond movie again. You know, I'm not going to do the last one on my contract. This, that, and the other. But that was because he had just done a nine-month 
global shoot. Yeah. And But once he took some time off and came back, he's like, all right, you know, I'm ready to do another one. You really think about it. Gunn went from doing his work on Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, whatever he was involved with, because I believe if I remember right, he wrote the Guardian scenes for Infinity War and Endgame, where, yes. they, where they were involved. So he goes from writing those scenes and working on those scenes to whatever other personal projects he had in the intervening years to working on Guardians 3, got fired from that, then got jumped in and and got contracted, I guess you could say, to work on the Suicide Squad movie. Then got rehired by Disney to do Guardians 3. So you got to figure, for the last like three years, easy, he's been working on superhero movies. So if that's all you're doing in your day-to-day job, where it's ta- even if you know, you're know you on your own personal time, you're working on it, I can understand him sitting there and saying, I don't want to do another superhero movie because it's arguably been part of his life the last three years. Yeah, exactly. If he wants to take a break, he's more than entitled to it. And that's why I say, I wouldn't doubt we see this team repeat at some point. Yeah, down the road. Like, it doesn't have to be an immediate sequel. I mean, look at Taika Waititi. Very busy with the Thor films, but he's done other work in the intervening years to kind of freshen the the, uh, cuisine. Yeah. So when we see him reappear, it's going to be something very special to see when they come back. Because I guarantee you this, if they're going to make a ton of money on this, it's going to be well worth the time. And we can sit there and just enjoy Task Force X at its finest, which is just being the worst of the worst, but doing some good in the meantime. It's such a unique concept. I definitely recommend go read some Suicide Squad good, comics. Good with uh, some quotation marks around it. Yes, good indeed. And then, like I said, if you really want to pick up a more recent run too, check out Tom Taylor's run on the book. Yeah. Fantastic. But there's a lot of wind to be had at the movies this week, so we are definitely going to be checking it out opening night. But you heard our takes. Now we want to hear yours. What is your thoughts going into Suicide Squad? Are you excited about this movie? Are you not? And why? And we definitely want to have that conversation with you. So head on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in. Let us know your takes because we're going to have some coming up next week. But until then, let's talk. But we're going to take a quick break. Before we go to the next segment, we'll be right back. Do not adjust your dial. Or, well, your phone. Your watch or whatever the heck you're using to listen to the awesome podcast you're currently listening to. I am the Duke of Nerds, Tyler Mack, and I am here to tell you that being a nerd can be a bit overwhelming, especially after 30. Life moves pretty fast in our nerd culture, and if you don't take the time to notice things, you miss out. That's why I'm here. As your Duke of Nerds, I am charged with educating and enlightening and entertaining you on all things nerdy. I do it by running the 30 and Nerdy podcast. 30 and Nerdy is a bad cast company production and currently playing wherever you cast your pod. Follow along each episode using the hashtag 30andnerdypod and check out what all is going on at 30andnerdypodcast.com. Whether it's DC, Marvel, comics, or video games, I have got you covered. So tune in now. Cheers to you, nerds. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the OTPH podcast, and we have to talk about a trailer that was released. Do we have to? Yes, Pad, we do. Because unfortunately, it was not Spider-Man No Way Home. True. Which, at this rate, I don't think exists. I'm just uh, going to give up hope on. Don't know. But we did get another somewhat web-slinger in his own right, but he hasn't really done too much of that in his movie franchise. Mm-hmm. And that is one Eddie Brock, otherwise oh, known yeah. as Venom. Mm-hmm. And we were shown the latest trailer for Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Yep. And we are going to give you our opinions. So we have been talking some spoilers on here because this has become a very polarizing subject on 
ODPH Twitter. Yeah, and the internet in general. Yes, but I know we've had a lot of great conversations with our friends on there, and definitely if you want to get involved in that, head on over to at OD Parlay Hour. We like talking to the movies. So we are going to be talking some spoilers of the trailer, so if you want to be surprised, we give you fair warning now because we are going to start deep diving into this because there's a little something to dissect here. So, Pad, in three, two, one, what did you think? I... Do not give any fucks about this movie. Uh, I did not see the first one simply because to me, doing a Venom movie without Spider-Man is like trying to do a Lex Luthor movie without Superman. Mm. There are certain instances with the right story doing a villain focused movie without the you know hero opposite them works. Case in point, Joker. Yeah. Joker, the you know, on normal circumstances, you have a Joker movie without Batman. I don't know if that's going to work. But then you see what the story's about. Okay, that works. Doing a Venom movie without Spider-Man where his origin is, like, literally tied to Spider-Man just doesn't seem right to me. Doing a Lex Luthor, like I said, doing a Lex Luthor movie without Superman just doesn't seem right to me. So I was on the fence about seeing the first one. The first one came out one of the years we were at New York Comic Con, and the reviews were negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, the critics weren't really loving it, and we were on. We were, I know you, myself, and some other folks were down there, and we were going to wait and see it because, well, the reviews coming in weren't all that great, and we didn't necessarily want to pay New York City ticket prices to see a movie we may not like because down there it's like fifteen twenty dollars. Yeah, twenty eighteen is when the first one dropped. Uh, you know, so fifteen twenty dollars a pop to see a movie we might not like. Yeah, we didn't want to waste our money. I know you saw the first one. I didn't see it just because I, you know, I had no interest to see it. This one I have even less interest to see just because, again, far as we know, Spider-Man is not involved in this movie. And I just have no, or Venom's a cool character. He's got an interesting backstory. And if done right, he's interesting. But I'm not a huge Venom guy. You know, I, I'm not clamoring to see a Venom movie. You know, I'm just, not, you know, and plus you look at, and I know it says in association with Marvel, who knows what level of involvement the folks at Marvel and Marvel Studios have with this. But you look at Sony's track record with Marvel-led films mm-hmm. and just how they are. And I've, and I've pulled up a list uh, courtesy of listchallenges.com, uh, and it's specifically Sony Marvel movies. And the page is supposed to be how many have you seen. So their very first one, obviously, was Spider-Man 2002. It came out in 2002 with Tobey Maguire. Great. Great movie. Mm. Uh, Spider-Man 2, uh, 2004 with, to- again, Tobey Maguire. Even better. Even better. Possibly one of the best superhero movie sequels of all time. Then they had Ghost Rider, which came out in 2007 with Nicolas Cage. I think my skull's on fire. Hot fucking garbage. Spider-Man 3 came out this, and I forgot these came out the same year. Spider-Man 3 came out the same year, 2007. Uh, the final Tobey Maguire film. Hot garbage. Yeah. Uh, then they took a bit of a break because they had planned Spider-Man 4, but there was some disagreements between the studio, Sam Raimi, and, and the various actors and actresses. Uh, so they put it on the back burner. Uh, then you had Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance come out in 2011 with Nicolas Cage again. Hot fucking garbage. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has its score listed at 18%. So, yeah. Then they came back with Amazing Spider-Man uh, in 2012, which was led by Andrew Garfield. It was okay. Mm-hmm. Not, not the best thing in the world. You know, I don't think I've ever rewatched it more than maybe once since I, I bought it on DVD. Uh, and then they had Amazing Spider-Man 2, which came out in 2014, uh, again with Andrew Garfield. And let's all remember, this is the one that Sony was screaming from the mountaintops. Movie's going to make a billion dollars. Yeah. Billion dollars. 
and then it didn't. You know, so that movie's hot fucking garbage. Whether it's worse than Spider-Man Three is up for debate. You know, but and then they came. Then they had to deal with Marvel, and of course, it was Spider-Man: Homecoming, which is a great movie. Yeah, uh, Venom haven't seen it, so I can't really speak to it. Uh, Spider-Man: Into the Spider-Verse, fantastic movie. Uh, and then the last Sony Marvel film, uh, which again they did work with Marvel on, is Spider-Man: Far From Home, which is a great movie. So outside of Homecoming and Far From Home, which you can't really factor in because that Marvel was directly involved with those. Mm-hmm. You know, they've had some hits in Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2, and then into the Spider-Verse. You know, and then they've got some, I guess you could call them C-tier, you know, if, you're, if we're doing a tier list. they got some B-tier movies with, uh, you know, Amazing Spider-Man. The rest of them, though, fucking suck. And if we're talking averages out of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 movies that is Sony-specific, Marvel's not involved with, You've got two that, or three, excuse me, that don't suck. One mm-hmm. that's okay. So you're sitting at a 50% score, which that's failing, folks. You know, so I just don't trust Sony on their own. Look at the track record. Yeah, it worked out for Spider-Man 1 and, and Spider-Man 2 because, hey, origin stories are hard to fuck up. Yeah. You know, so origin stories are probably the easiest thing to do in a comic book movie. The, the blueprint is there. You just got to fill in the the extra stuff. Spider-Man 2, great fucking movie. But the other stuff they've done, like I said, outside of Into the Spider-Verse and then the Amazing Spider-Man first one, which is okay, it's not great, they fucking suck. For me, going off your list, I have to agree that some just didn't deliver. I cannot stand the Andrew Garfield franchise. I am not a fan of those movies. Like I said, the first one's okay, but I haven't rewatched it in years, so my opinion might have changed since then. No, I still can't watch it because I'm, I'm sorry. I just I did not like that franchise. I hated number two. Oh, number two was god awful. Number two was not good. I think the only thing that I liked about it was they actually were following the comics and killed off Gwen Stacy. Yeah, that's about the only good thing. That was it. So other than that, I really don't have a lot to <laughs> good things to say about it. But from the original Spider-Man, we had two great films with Tobey Maguire. Yeah. And then after that, it's kind of went off the rails. It went completely off the rails. Finally came back with Tom Holland and started in the right direction. And obviously, Into the Spider-Verse is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Into the Spider-Verse is great. But like you said, they had two great films, went off the rails. And and Amazing Spider-Man 2 went off the rails completely. Yeah, that was just To the point they had to get Marvel's help to fix things. Well, I think once you realize that, go to the source who knows the character best. And obviously, at that point, the MCU had finally gained enough steam that they could call some shots. Mm-hmm. When they got Tom Holland involved and took more of a controlling factor into the franchise, that's when it really started taking off. Because who knows Spider-Man better than Marvel? Yeah. Nobody. I'm sorry. It's, just, it's not going to work. I'd say Brian Michael Bendis, but yeah, that's just me. Well, I mean, you can debate the great writers that have written Peter Parker's escapades through the lineage of time. Nick Spencer. But... It goes along with you got to get people to really know that character. And yeah. when Marvel finally did, then, like I say, look at the turnaround. That's why everything is so important about going with the MCU, where Venom just hasn't translated because, let's face it, since Spider-Man 3, that was a forced character that was thrown in there. I'm uh-huh. sorry, you can't tell me otherwise. And the fact that the Sandman got that much time in the movie is beyond me. Yep. That's I, I got. Well, we, we know why the Sandman was forced in. We've said it before. I'll say it again. Sony had the biggest hard on in the world, still do for doing a Sinister Six movie. Yeah, and then we got forced with that because anytime you try putting two villains in the same movie, 
It doesn't work. I've said that for years. I'll still say that. Guy. Arguably three for Spider-Man 3 when you factor in uh, Harry. Yeah. And but, that whole storyline. But that was just a train wreck to begin with, in my opinion. So it's like you can't win there. And then when to see how they finally rebounded with what they've done in Marvel, yeah, it's worked out. Because, like I say, going back to the original point, see, I'm going to go on a complete tangent of why I don't like the original Spider-Man movies. With Venom, yeah, we understand that they really want to get the ball rolling because if you take a look at his top five villains being Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Venom is in that top five talk. Top three, even. I would say. I mean, for me, he's a 1B because who knows him better than than the symbiote? Like, nobody knows him better. That's true. Because they have that great relationship about, like, okay, well, he was basically Spider-Man for a while, stole everything about him. Yeah. That it really became a challenge for Peter to fight him. And like I said, between him and Norman Osborn, that's your 1A, 1B. In, oh, absolutely. In my absolutely. Like I said, you, you can get on the lineage of villains there, and there's a lot to go with. But when they decide to make Venom the anti-hero, and this, like I say, in wrestling terms, it's like when they made Stone Cold Steve Austin a face. He really wasn't a face. He still was doing Stone Cold Steve Austin things. Oh, yeah. But it got over with the crowd because at that point in the 90s, everybody was looking for something different. Yeah. And that's when Venom exploded and yeah, suddenly yeah. became the anti-hero and the lethal protector and blah, blah, blah. So now when you're trying to implement his popularity into the movies, you didn't really have that great of a script to go off of, in no. my opinion. And that's why, no. like I said, for the first Venom movie, it's passable if you're really going in with low expectations. Yeah. I went in with high ones because at this point, we've had a great run by Donny Cates. Mm-hmm. That has really put a lot of energy back into that character and oh, how yeah. and the, and the fantastic work that he did on that series is, it goes without saying. Like, yeah, if you're it, not reading that, you need to. It, it's kind of like with Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn was obviously a very much beloved character. Now she's kind of ascended to that other level of being recognizable all over the world. Uh, in comic terms, Venom was already a very popular character. Sure. You know, for a lot of folks, top 10, top 15 villains, you know, depending on who you ask. Donnie Cates' run elevated that for a lot of folks. Oh, yeah. He's now an A-lister. Like, seriously, you cannot say Venom is not after the yeah. work that Donnie Cates has done. That's how great that comic was. But to see where it translates now to a pop culture standpoint, the first movie got carried off by the legacy. Mm-hmm. Because, let's face it, Tom Hardy, great actor. We'll oh, bring yeah. the fan base. Did what he could with the script. Oh, yeah. It's not my favorite script, not my favorite movie. And, in fact, it just kind of had that weird late 90s, early 2000s action movie vibe for sure. me. And I just was not sold on it. And in fact, sure. I, I was picking it apart left and right. That's me, though, because I like to see a comic hero story get told based off the comic. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't mesh, I start getting very, very nitpicky about stuff. Sure. That movie did it because it was just like, okay, well, this is supposed to be the original. You knew he wasn't going to be fighting Carnage in this movie. But how they did it was like they were really trying to go on the humor aspect, which when you try forcing it, it just doesn't work. No. I've said this about Marvel a lot. Like I say, Thor Ragnarok is great, but if you really want to start nailing it down, when has Thor ever been this funny before? Yeah. He's not. So to see the almost in the same vein, this happened with Tom Hardy and Venom because you know the Venom symbiote is all of a sudden hysterical and making one-liners and all this. Yeah. It just didn't translate. But it did enough to get people interested in the franchise. And the hope is Marvel and Sony will play ball and somehow connect Tom Holland and Spider-Man into this universe. Well, there is a certain movie coming up dealing with multiverses that it didn't occur to me, and I can't believe I didn't think of this till just now, that could be the gateway to that. It might be because we always know that that door is open as long as they are sharing Spider-Man. There is that hope that maybe, just maybe, 
All sides will come together and get this right. Mm-hmm. And then when we heard this franchise was greenlit for a sequel, we knew with that crazy-ass wig, Woody Harrelson was going to be playing Cletus Cassidy, a.k.a. Carnage, the spawn of Venom, who's more homicidal than anything you'll ever see on this world. It's like Woody Harrelson with hair is just wrong. Oh, yeah, but that wig the first time? You, Google that, my friend. There, there are certain actors who rock a bald look. Dwayne Johnson. Yep. Jason Statham. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vin Diesel. Uh, you know, even Sam Jackson, you know, rock a uh, bald look very well. Mm-hmm. And I would count Woody Harrelson among them. Woody Harrelson is great bald. Just seeing him with hair is just wrong. Oh, yeah, but that first scene when we saw him as Cleus Cassidy, that was frightening. That oh, was, uh, yeah, I got it. That was damn right frightening. However, though, from what we've seen from this next trailer, though, it's looked a lot better. Yeah. Like, am I completely sold? Like, yeah, I'm the excitement level's there? No. No. But I will say this. I am very intrigued by this because I think Woody Harrelson is going to carry this movie. And I even saw with the little subtle charisma he was doing with his character. Like, he didn't go over the top supervillain and ham it up. Right. He played it cool just enough that you understood that, obviously, Cleus Cassidy is a psychopath. Yeah. And we saw this in the beginning where he's kind of in the church and saying all he ever wanted was carnage. Mm-hmm. And it's such a it's a comic line to the definition. Yeah. But it works. Oh, well, he said the thing. He said the thing. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, but it works. I mean, that's the thing. He, he knows how to play it off because a lot of this trailer, we get a lot of Venom versus Eddie. Yeah. And the fight for control because Venom has now become so much of a predator force yeah. that he wants just to eat everybody, which it hails back to his early stages in the comics. Uh, disagreements between the two, which happens. Yeah, which they do try playing off for a lot of comedic relief because for a lot of the moviegoers, when they first saw the first Venom, they really loved that point of it. Yeah. It is what it is. And, you know, like I say, for me, it didn't connect. I was like, okay, we're really trying to make him too funny. When it works, it's you know, the fish out of water vibe. Sure. But this one is just he's trying to be too funny with the symbiote. And then when they finally reveal a little bit about what is going on with the story, because somehow, some way, we know that Cleus Cassidy knows about Eddie Brock being a symbiote. Yep. He knows somehow. Like we they have not explained that part in the movie just yet. But from the trailers we understand that because suddenly Eddie Brock is still being the journalist and trying to dig into what is really going on. I'd have to I'd have to dig it up, but I wanna say because I read the Ultimate Spider Man line a lot. When, mm-hmm. I, when I was a kid, um, I want to say in the Ultimate Comics that Carnage was a spawn off of Venom, in 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 that as uh, in that aspect. I, so maybe they're borrowing from the Ultimate line, where it's like, and, I, and again, I could be entirely wrong. I, I got to dig it up, but maybe they're they're borrowing a little bit from the Ultimates comics. They might be doing a little bit of that because, as we see, when Brock finally meets Cassidy, Cassidy winds up cutting him open, and that's how he gets the Venom blood because he tastes the blood. And he's like, this isn't blood. Right. So he knew something was up because that's the whole point of him luring Brock to come see him in jail. And it's a very interesting scene because this is how he gets the Venom symbiote in his system. As we see, Cassidy is on the death sentence. He's getting on death row. They're about ready to kill him off. He activates Venom, or Carnage rather. And then you see just Carnage doing what Carnage does best, and that is killing everything in front of him. Okay, I, I dug up the uh, Carnage symbiote from the Ultimate 
uh, universe, uh, courtesy of the Marvel fandom wiki page. Uh, under Origin, it says, When Dr. Kurt Connors discovered that Peter Parker was in fact Spider-Man, he offered to help him, feeling he owed the young hero, who had previously helped him after he turned himself into the lizard. Following a fight with the madman Gladiator, Peter went to Connors' lab for medical treatment. Connors helped him, and after Spider-Man departed, he examined Peter's blood out of curiosity. Intrigued by what he had found, Connors wanted to try to use Peter's DNA to create something new. With the help of his lab assistant, Ben Riley, Connors used a leftover sample of Richard Parker's research, the Venom symbiote, to combine the sample of Peter's DNA with his own, which had been altered by the lizard serum. After a month of experimentation, Connors and Riley succeeded in creating a red and black symbiote that they divided into several samples, placing all but one into storage. So maybe they'll borrow a little bit from that. I don't know. Well, I think they're going to try borrowing a lot of different elements. I mean, the Ultimates universe is definitely something. They'll try taking it back to when Brock and Cassidy were cellmates. Yeah. But that's not happening here. But we at least understand how they're going to say Cassidy got the symbiote in him. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious of how he found out Venom yeah. is Eddie Brock. Like that's the one thing that they didn't tip off. But I'm like, okay, that'll, that'll be some part of the story. And like I say, when we finally see Carnage emerge as Carnage, I thought they nailed this. I will say the CGI looked great. Sure, he looked absolutely horrifying. Seeing him go through the jail and absolutely killing everybody in sight. There's that weird tongue scene that goes on. Yeah, they nailed it. Yeah. Like that is carnage. I was like, okay, I am very much more involved in wanting to see this movie because they finally nailed carnage right. We do see a little cameo of Naomi Harris who plays Shriek and using her powers a little bit, but it's nothing really giving anything away there. But Carnage is going to have some help, and then we see that we finally get a showdown with Venom, mm-hmm. who originally reverts himself back inside Eddie Brock because he doesn't want to fight Carnage. Which no, is a, that, no, that's a red one. Yeah, it's it's a, that's a weird thing I see there because yeah. I don't remember that happening in the comics. Obviously, hit me up on Twitter if you if you know that stance because I looked at that and said. In the entire time I've read Spider-Man, I don't ever remember Venom running away from Carnage. Yeah, to my no. and not the initial stage. Maybe if he's time. on the maybe if he's on the brink of death, maybe. But at, yeah, the, but, out, at the outset, no. No, not at the outset because it's the first time they ever meet each other. But we are going to see a, a crazy fight scene with that, which I'm excited for. Like this is the point of Venom that I think they can definitely nail because with Carnage, I'm hoping for a rated R rating. I don't think we're going to get it. I think it's already PG thirteen from all I, all signs are pointing to. Which listen, if you if you run that hard PG thirteen, it can still work. But I digress. Yeah. But from what we know, this is going to definitely be something for the Spider Man fans because they're teasing enough with it that if you understand the vibe of Venom, Carnage is up there with one of the best Spider Man villains of all time too in yeah. his own right. He's obviously taken up more precedence because of Tiny Gates' run. With Venom. Yeah. And the whole saga of Null, which I think they're alluding to right now. Mm. There's little subtle things that I'm seeing on this trailer that I'm going, are they really going to tease Null? Which, I mean, if they did, could definitely be a lot of interesting films coming down the road with that. I just don't know if they're really going to pull the switch for that just yet. But I think they're teasing enough a little bit. Like, we're seeing Cassidy talking in a church, worshiping Null. Maybe I'm looking a little too much into it. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. But that's something I'm noticing that I'm going, I definitely want to keep an eye on that scene when I see the movie. But it did have enough that I'm like, okay, I'm definitely going to check this out opening day when it comes out. I'm, I'm just not sold on it at all just because, you know, I know Tom, oh, Tom Hardy's super involved with it to the point where he's even on the IMDb page given a credit under writers where it says story by. Uh, but Andy Circus is the director and 
listen, Andy Serkis is a fantastic uh, actor. You know, his work with the Apes franchise, you know, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and the, and the Apes soft reboot, whatever you want to call it, Lord of the Rings, you know, his work in the Marvel stuff. He's a fantastic actor, but for director, he's a little unknown, you know, just because I'm looking at his IMDb page. He's got five, he's got 107 acting credits. He's got, you know, only five directing credits. The first one was a video game uh, in 2007 called Heavenly Sword. He was the uh, dramatic director, uh, an independent film in 2017 called Breathe. Uh, a TV movie in 2018 called The Ruins of Empires, uh, and then the Netflix Jungle Book film, uh, Mowgli, Legend of the Jungle, which I haven't seen, so I can't speak to it. But then his his most recent one, of course, is Venom, Let There Be Carnage. So he's, like I said, great actor. Don't really know much about his directing ability and, and how he is with the directing because you see it in sports a lot. you got a great athlete in whatever sport that they try and become a coach, and it just doesn't work. Who knows if this is the same case? I don't know. But then along with the writing credits, you've got Tom Hardy, but the screenplay is by a woman named Kelly Marcel, who has only got six writing credits to her IMDb page. One is she was uh, uh, listed as a creator for 13 episodes of a TV series called Terra Nova. Uh, she's got a writ- written by credit for Saving Mr. Banks, the Disney film that came out in 2013. Yeah. Uh, she's got a screenplay by credit for the Fifty Shades of Grey film from 2015 a screenplay by credit for Venom in 2018, a story by credit for Cruella, which came out this year from Disney, mm-hmm. and then this most recent one with Venom. So, you know, it, it's not a case of, like, I'm not super sold on a movie, and then I see who's writing or, or, or directing, and I go, oh, okay, I know those folks. They do good work. I'm all in for this. I love Andy Serkis. Don't really know how he is as a director. And the writer, you know, I've seen Cruella. Cruella was a good movie. But never seen Fifty Shades of Grey, never seen uh, Saving Mr. Banks, or and obviously I haven't seen the first Venom, and I haven't watched Terra Nova. So I, I don't really know that much about her. I don't know a lot about it either, or her either, or how Circus is going to direct either. Like I said, I don't know about what they're going to bring to the table, but I am excited to just see some fresh take on it, and then I'll make my choice then. That's the one thing with this movie is the first one did not connect on any level. Like I said, sure. it's, it's just such a throwback to a different time period that it yeah. was like... So predictable and mm-hmm. so cliche that yeah. I was like, eh, all right, let's see what we do. This one, at least, they have the carnage factor going with it. That you're going to have a villain that is very complex. I do love the casting, and I think that Woody's going to carry this movie. I really do. Tom Hardy, we know what we're going to get is him as Venom. Like, it's already been established. I don't really like how he plays him per se, because I think he plays him a lot more sniveling than he should. Sure. But... It's something that they want to do for this portrayal, which, okay, I get it. Especially if Tom's writing this or has a writing credit on this, he's involved. So this is how he wants to portray him moving forward. All right, let's see if this gets any better. Because when you have that A-list villain now, you got to bring it for the script. You have to. If this falls flat and they do some kind of weird reasons ending yeah. to this, this is going to put the franchise back a couple films, I think. I really do. Like, I mean, I'm sure it's going to make some bank when it comes out, but sustainability for a future one, I don't know. I think you got to really kind of go in with bated breath. Yeah. I really do. Because there's a lot that you can sit here and go, I don't like about it. And, sure. And like I say, there from the trailer, I've seen a lot that I don't like. Sure. The Yeti verse uh, Venom talk. Uh, like, listen, I think that we're just dragging that out. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish, like, we didn't do that because that's going to be the whole point of the thing of the fight between them and yeah. Venom sides with Carnage or something yeah. at the end. I'm going to be yeah. like, really? Come on. 
this should be a solid film to at least improve on. And I say with Circus at the helm, a lot more pressures on him to deliver. But I will say from what I've seen with Carnage, the villain, I'm in. I'm in to go see it opening day. If if they do, and we don't know what the rating is, you know, the last one was PG-13. The rating for this one has not come out yet. Um, but if they do in this film with Carnage, what Carnage did uh, with a certain character in the Ultimate Spider-Man comics, yo, that'll be like a highlight, you know, memorable scene. Yeah, I have to agree, too. I mean, they, they got so many different interpretations they can run with it that they just got to make sure they nail it. And that's going to be the big thing moving forward with this. Because with the trailer, it's there's some win and there's some mm-hmm. It just depends on what your take is going to be for this. Like I say, for me, the early film in 2018 did not really sell me on, like, I want to see another one. But I, I was more intrigued about Woody Harrelson. He's the big X factor. Sure. The takeaway to kind of wrap the segment up. He is the X factor that is going to be the one that makes or breaks this film. Everybody else just really needs to balance off him. And I hope you get something out of Tom Hardy's Venom that we kind of see that strife between them, the big buildup, the big fight, the big angst. I want to see that on this film. If I get that, I'm going to say this is going to be a win. If I don't get that, man, that segment is going to be a very, very interesting take when it comes up. Venom Let There Be Carnage is slated, as we record, to come out September 24th. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. You saw the latest trailer. What is your thoughts about Venom? Let there be carnage. Are you excited about it? Are you not? And why? Let's have that discussion. Shall we, folks? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Mark. And I'm Jasmine. And we're the hosts of Geeks Unleashed. The weekly pop culture news and reviews podcast. We review and discuss what's current in the world of comics, movies, and television. You can check us out on social media. We are at Geeks Unleashed. And you can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And there is a situation that's kind of breaking and stewing. And with the situation at movie theaters going on, I feel we need to talk about it. Yeah. Because when I first heard this, it was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And now we're kind of picking up a little more steam. Pad, what are we talking about? Uh, we were talking about Scarlett Johansson and other, several other actors. But uh, first one was Scarlett Johansson uh, suing Disney Studios uh, for some extra pay, back pay, uh, given the circumstances surrounding her contract and the way that the Black Widow film was released, uh, specifically the fact that it was released in theaters and also online through their Disney Plus premiere access. Yeah, so this is kind of an interesting story that was breaking because obviously we talked at length about how Black Widow was coming out on Disney Plus and at movie theaters, had a great opening week, did very good numbers at both. Yeah. Second week took kind of a nosedive, to put it mildly, at the movie yeah. theaters. But the question became why? And there's a lot of internet rumor talk, you know, fingers getting pointed, you know, by fans and such. Till then, we get this lawsuit that comes out. Yeah, so uh, reading from an article on courtesy of uh, the folks over at Deadline, uh, it says Scarlett Johansson filed a lawsuit against Disney on Thursday, this is last week, uh, claiming that the studio breached her contract by releasing the Marvel movie Black Widow on Disney Plus at the same time it was released in theaters. The breach of contract lawsuit uh, was filed in Los Angeles Superior Court and takes aim at a new phenomenon of the studio's streaming wars, day and date releases in theaters and on the streaming platforms. 
The lawsuit claims by steering audiences to Disney Plus, the media conglomerate wanted to grow its subscriber base and boost its stock price. Yet, uh, yet that was at the expense of Johansson, whose compensation would, quote, largely be based on box office receipts, according to the lawsuit, while she extracted a promise from Marvel that the release of Black Widow would be a theatrical release. The lawsuit also claims that Disney financial disclosures make clear that the very Disney executives who orchestrated this strategy will personally benefit from the di- from their and Disney's misconduct, as it identifies Disney's CEO's Bob Chapek's uh, equity grants totaling 3.8 times his $2.5 million base salary in 2021, with the primary justification for that award being the launch of direct-to-consumer services. The lawsuit also notes that Disney executive chairman Bob Iger received the overwhelming majority of his $16.5 million compensation in the form of stock grants, with the company's annual report citing the growth of Disney+. Plus. Uh, In short, the message to and from Disney's top management was clear. Increase Disney Plus subscribers, never mind your contractual promises, and you will be rewarded, the lawsuit states. Johnson's attorneys, John Berlinski of Kasowitz Benson Torres, LLP, said in a statement, It's no secret that Disney is releasing films like Black Widow directly onto Disney Plus to increase subscribers and thereby boost the company's stock price, and that it's hiding behind COVID-19 as a pretext to do so. But ignoring the contracts of the artists responsible for the success of its films is furtherance of this short-sighted strategy violates their rights and we look forward to proving as much in court. This will surely not be the last case where Hollywood talent stands up to Disney and makes it clear that whatever the company may pretend, it has a legal obligation to honor its contracts. Spokesmen for the company did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Uh, so then later that day or the next day, Disney fired back. Uh, and again, this from folks over at Deadline. Uh, it says the Walt Disney Co. has fired back at Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit over the release of Black Widow in a biting statement in which it said that the litigation showed a callous disregard to the COVID-19 pandemic and even revealed that she has so far received $20 million from the project. Ooh. A Disney spokesperson said there is no merit whatsoever to this filing. The lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Disney has fully complied with Miss Johansson's contract, and furthermore, the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus with Premier Access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million she has received to date. Uh, in her lawsuit filed on Thursday, in the Los Angeles Superior Court, uh, Johnson claims that the day and date release of Marvel's Black Widow on Disney Plus in theaters was a breach of her contract. The lawsuit contends that Disney Plus release siphoned potential theater goers, costing her potential cons- compensation tied to the movie's theatrical revenue. Uh, Disney's reference to COVID-19 referred to what the company has said has been a motivating factor for the day and date release, given the limitations on theatrical movie going because of the pandemic. The company's revelation of Johnson's compensation was also unusual on the record disclosure of the movie pay. So it's getting ugly. It's getting very ugly. And I guess my initial takeaways from reading this. Uh, one, I don't think we'll see Scarlett Johansson back in the MCU anytime soon. Not in, a, not in the immediate future. Nope. Uh, I think that's a done deal, unfortunately. And I think that she, in my opinion, she's got an argument. Mm-hmm. I think she does. But Disney has one, too. I know that sounds very confusing, but let me break this down. 
we do live in a very odd era right now mm-hmm. with everything going on with C19. So I know that business is shifting the direction to get product out. Yeah. And the question, I guess, when I read this is when Scarlett Johansson signed her contract, streaming a movie on Disney Plus because of a pandemic was not on the table. Yep. So I think at this point when we decided to go to the new business route of streaming it, something should have got reworked. Sure. And I think that that is the argument. And quite frankly, I agree with Scarlett on this one. I mean, it, it's messy on both sides just because it, it. I get why she's doing it. Yeah, I fully get it. And, but on the other side, it, it's a bad look on Disney's part to cite the COVID-19 pandemic, which I get. It's why the movie was delayed for like an entire year. Yeah. But it's not a good look to say, listen, the, the pandemic's a reason why we had to do this, blah, blah, blah. And, but then, you know, the week the movie came out, you were praising how well the movie did and even citing the box office numbers on top of how much money it made through Disney+. Plus. Preach it. You know, because that's not something they normally do. I don't think they've done that. They've never done that. They've, you know, for all of the films they've had come out through their Premiere Plus access, you know, Mulan, Cruella, you know, Jungle Cruise is the latest one. We've never heard how those movies did financially. That and, and that's not a Disney thing. That's a streaming thing. We very rarely will a service like a Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, Disney Plus, Amazon go in the opening weekend or the opening week of our show or movie, whatever it is, came out. It was watched X number of times by X number of Y number of account holders. Very rarely will you hear that. And some people don't like it. Some people don't care is what it is. But to say that have Scarlett Johansson then come around and file his lawsuit and then go, Oh, listen, it's not our fault. We had to do this. It's because of the pandemic. Y'all made the money. That's the whole thing. Preach it, pad. You nailed it right on the head. The fact that you released the financials, I thought was interesting at the time because mm-hmm. they, like you touched upon, they never have done that. I don't remember them doing that for HBO Max and the movies they've had streamed there. No, people have figured it out, but that's going through like some third-party sites and and nothing official from HBO. Right, but the fact that we actually had the numbers get released, I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting uh-huh. because then once we heard about the massive drop off, well, if you had. 60 million or whatever it was that bought Disney Plus for yep. the movie. You yep. now have unlimited watch use of it. Uh-huh. And that's not just for your if your profile, it's for anyone who has a profile on your account. Uh-huh. I now I've said before and I'll say again, I bought Cruella on Disney Plus Premier Access. Not because I couldn't go to a theater, it's because my girlfriend really wanted to see it and none of the showtimes were convenient for us to get to a theater. Yeah. It was like the last two showtimes of the day at the theater at the two theaters in our area. And we would not have made it even with the whole half hour of ads and, and previews. We just wouldn't have made it. We would have missed the first 10 minutes of the movie. So I said, listen, I'll bite the bullet. I'll pay the $30 to watch the movie on, on, on premier plus access, because by the time you factor in the gas and the ticket, it's the same price anyway. Yeah. But I, then because I bought the film, it wasn't now on my profile. I have a profile. My girlfriend has a profile. My sister has one and my parents have one. Mm-hmm. So there's four profiles on my account. I bought it so not just my profile can watch it, but my girlfriend, my sister, and my parents could all go and watch said film because I bought it. Right. And that's unlimited times up through when it's 
eventually dropped on Disney Plus for everybody else. That's the whole point of doing the business now. And I can understand if your contract is tied to a theatrical release, is there anything tied to a streaming release? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that needed to get amended before this was released. Because, I mean, obviously the talk, we knew theaters weren't going to be open, but we have to get the Marvel ball rolling. I get that. But when you have contracts tied to theatrical releases and yet you're not doing the compensation for the streaming business, that is a problem. Mm -hmm. And I know it's uncharted water. Sure. But you need to remedy it because now you've literally opened up Pandora's box. Oh, yeah. And I know that we have a couple more cases that have come out concerning it. Yeah. So, I mean, before we jump into that, we did have a statement from Scarlett Johansson's agent, Brian Lloyd, who is the co-chairman of the CAA, which is the creative artists agency. Uh, they are an American talent sports agency based in Los Angeles. Uh, they are, I guess, considered the dominant and influential in the talent agency business. Uh, they have a bunch of clients. Uh, as of March, 2016, they had almost 2000 employees. Uh, but he said, quote, I want to address the Walt Disney Company's statement that was issued in response to the lawsuit filed against them yesterday by our client, Scarlett Johansson. They have shamelessly and falsely accused Miss Johnson of being insensitive to the global COVID pandemic in an attempt to make her appear to be someone they and I know she isn't. Scarlett has been Disney's partner on nine movies, which have earned Disney and its shareholders billions. The company included her salary in their press statement in an attempt to weaponize her success as an artist and businesswoman as if that were something she should be ashamed of. Scarlett is extremely proud of the work that she and all the other actors, writers, directors, producers, and the Marvel creative team have been a part of for well over a decade. This suit was filed as a result of Disney's decision to knowingly violate Scarlett's contract. They have very deliberately moved the revenue stream and profits to the Disney Plus side of the company, leaving artistic and financial partners out of their new equation. That's it, pure and simple. Disney's direct attack on her character and all else they implied is beneath the company that many of us in the creative community have worked with successfully for decades. Johnson's breach of contract lawsuit was filed in Superior Court yesterday and is, it is the first public slam by a Hollywood star against the studio that's reaping money by crushing theatrical windows uh, at the expense of talent in exchange for spiking its stock for the sake of its newfound streaming service. Disney's stock price in the wake of Disney Plus has hit a 52-week high of $203.02. Uh, shares are now trading at $176.90 at the time of this report, which was written on the 30th of July, so I can dig up the numbers there. But no, this isn't the only one you've had. I know there's, I know there's been talk of Gerard Butler, uh, who is a very well-known actor, suing Millennial, Millennium Films for $10 million related to uh, Olympus's Fallen. You know, the movie that came out like seven or eight years ago. Yeah. See, that, like that one, in my opinion, I don't, I don't think it has much of a leg to stand on because the streaming era was not fully involved. No. So if he's basing the suit around that, I, I don't really see the grounds. I'll say Disney stock price as we record, and I believe the markets are going to close in about 10 minutes as we record. Uh, they are currently $172.69 a share. Yeah, which, I mean, listen, Disney is making money hand over fist. We get that. But I think now you have opened up a very big Pandora's box with Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is going to change the way they do business in Hollywood. I think you are going to see a groundbreaking case now. Because yeah. with films that are out now, and I want to say with everything that has been released in the COVID era, 
I think beforehand it's very tough because you did not have films go straight to streaming. Well, in a lot of instances, this isn't, especially with like the Gerard Butler situation, this isn't going to be really applicable because studios don't by and large sign actors or actresses to multi-film deals. Mm-hmm. You know, they sign them on for a movie, it's over and it's done with. So, you know, the rest of the Marvel folks, I think they seriously got to take a look with their agents and see what their contract says and say, hey, listen, we might want to start talking things and figuring things out. Should we go have to go down this road ourselves? But you look at folks like Matt Damon or, mm-hmm. or Brad Pitt, I doubt they're going to run into this themselves because they don't sign on to these multi-film deals where they're specifically tied to a, a studio. Well, that's the interesting point is with you have films going straight to streaming, and I'm honestly just looking at HBO Max right now. Sure. Are you going to now see a big push from actors and actresses trying to get lost wages or compensated? I, I mean, it's it's a very fine line to walk, and this is what makes this case so crazy is that, yes, with everything going on in the world and theaters not being open to full capacity and the whole ball of wax it is, the business has to be taken care of on the ground level. That if you're going to make the move, you're going to have to rework the contracts out. That's where the big bottom line is here. That Scarlett Johansson did not get a, a fair share of money because of how the contract is written. Yeah, Like, did she get paid? Yes, she did get paid. But... Is it to the full contract if you are moving a film out of the one point of your contract? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's where the gist is right here because since the film went to streaming, X amount of money went there instead of to the theaters. Yeah, where which translated to the actors involved with the film. This is where it needs to get kind of hammered out, and you need to set a benchmark moving forward because I feel now with the example you brought about Cruella Pad. Yeah. I could see Emma Stone doing the same thing. Well, and there's a potential one for that. Uh, reading from an article courtesy of ScreenRant.com, uh, it says, uh, and this is, they list a whole bunch of actors, and I'll get to the Gerard Butler, back to the Gerard Butler one, because they mentioned that one. But the thing says, even here, uh, Emma Stone's potential lawsuit. Emma Stone, who played the t- title role in Disney's Cruella, is reportedly pondering following suit and filing her own claim against Disney regarding the simultaneous theatrical and streaming releases of the live-action prequel to 101 Dalmatians. While the details of Stone's contract with Disney are also not publicly known, it would not be surprising if she also had a contract where her final salary was contingent upon box office receipts of Cruella. It has been, it has been noted, however, that Cruella's box office numbers were not as impressive as projected, despite being a critical smash, and many have blamed the Disney Plus premium access option for that fact. And and the thing of it is, is it's these contracts aren't just, oh, hey, you agree to get paid $20 million for the film and mm-hmm. you show up, you do your work and you leave. A lot of these contracts are tied to however much, you know, they, they get their base salary, you know, their, their pay. But then there's also clauses where like, if the, you know, the movie, you get so much percentage of, uh, what the movie makes at the box office. Like the one I can remember famously was, uh, Sean Connery, God rest his soul, was offered the role to play Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Wow. And he was offered somewhere in the neighborhood of like five or more percent of whatever the film made at the box Holy office. Sh- I, and I forget the, the base salary pay, but with the base salary pay on top of the like five or ten percent, whatever it was, he would have made off the box office. He would have been the highest paid actor in Hollywood history, bar none. But the one that came out, and the other one I can remember was Matt Damon was at the Keynes Film Festival a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, premiering his film that's out, Stillwater. Uh, and he, he d- discussed how he turned down the lead role in some movie called Avatar. 
Hmm. Where, uh, you know, he said, quote, I was offered a little movie called Avatar. James Cameron offered me 10% of it. it. I will go down in history. You will never meet an actor who turned down more money. So Damon would have got whatever his typical pay is for a movie. And then the movie made $2.8 So using a little website, you know, I round up $3 billion. He would have made somewhere in the neighborhood of $300 million. Like, That's freaking nuts. You know, so these actors and actresses aren't, you know, by not every actor, but the big ones aren't just paid base salary. They get percentages. And, and you have these films, like you mentioned, Cruella, Jungle Cruise. And we know Dwayne ain't going to do this because Dwayne ain't hurting for money, you know, so don't expect this out of Dwayne. Uh, but it, it's understandable that, like, hey, I'm going to get a certain percentage of this, of the box office, and it's getting cut into because. You know, why number of people are going to the streaming service and not the theaters? Well, that's the question that you're going to have to ask about it. I mean, I think it's just a sheer principle. Mm-hmm. And I think especially with how the reaction was for Black Widow, this is what's causing the spark here. That there's a lot of questionable blame being thrown at a lot of people concerning why was there the big drop-off. Yeah. And you have to think about it because for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, was it a flop? No. No. By no means. But was it the big gigantic blockbuster than people were expecting debatable i mean i I think the drop-off can be tied to there wasn't anything new for the overall story with yeah just the bonus just the bonusing by and large to use an anime term and this isn't a slight against the movie i love the movie it was a great movie but to use an anime term for the overall marvel story this was filler yeah This, this was a filler episode of an anime show where yeah, you got stuff out of it, but it really didn't advance the overall plot of where the Marvel Universe is going. Right. So I think you can tie it to that. I think for a lot of folks like you, myself and you, and, and the folks we went with, we really wanted to see what we wanted, and we went and saw it. I think there are still people who are going to see it, just they know, okay, this is kind of like a, you know an intermission film, so to speak, that it's taking place between two films that have already come out. We know what's going to happen with her. You know, we can kind of wait, and we don't necessarily need to see it right out the gate. We can just wait. Yeah. It's going to be a very interesting case to watch, and I think that Scarlet's got a real strong case, in my opinion. Yeah. Like I said, Gerard Butler's got a weak case, if you ask me. Yeah, he's got I mean, I I just don't understand why he's even trying to go for this. I mean, you you got the article in front of you. Yeah, so again, uh, reading from the Screen Rant article, it says, While not attracting as much attention as Johansson's lawsuit against Disney, actor Gerard Butler filed a similar suit during the same week against the New Image, Millennium Media, and Padre Nuestro Productions. It is Butler's contention that he has yet to be compensated for the residuals he earned based on his original contract for the 2013 action film Olympus Has Fallen. While the particulars of the contract have not been made public, it seems likely that Butler has an, had a an agree, similar agreement to Johansson's and agreed to a lower base salary in exchange for a percentage of the film's box office. While Butler's claim does not make mention of having lost revenue because of streaming shifting, it still bears consideration in relation to Johansson's case as it highlights another way in which actors can lose money because of residuals. Yeah, but I, like I said, I just I don't think it's that strong of a case. Mm-hmm. I, th- I I think Johansson's got a legit one because let's face it, we're now in a different business model. Mm-hmm. We didn't have this kind of situation back when Olympus Has Fallen came out. So yeah. so like I said, I don't see that one going in his favor. Yeah. To be honest, but I mean, I like I said, I'm not a lawyer. I just play one on a podcast. And it's and it like I said, it's ten million dollars for a movie that came out like seven eight years ago. They could very well just cut him the check and go home. Yeah, I mean, you might see something like that happen. And I think if Disney is smart. 
they do work out a settlement deal with Johansson. And I would think for any movies that you're going to be doing the split at the box office, yeah, you need to work out a deal with your actors involved. Uh-huh. That if you don't do this moving forward. Because this, this is a precedent not just for Disney, but for every studio. Oh, I'm looking right at HBO Max right now. Because uh-huh. you're telling me for all the movies that have come out, and I'm going to go back to Wonder Woman 84. Wonder Woman 84, Godzilla vs. Kong. Um, Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. I'm sure there's more I'm probably forgetting. You know, Dune down the road. You know, Zack Snyder Justice League. Well, Zack Snyder's Justice League, I think, might be a stretch because it's yeah, a re- it's a re-release. That's true. But if you talk about everything that is slated to debut at the box office yeah. since COVID has happened. It's like the Pixar films is too. Yeah. You have got a legit argument, in my opinion, if this case goes through. Because if I am HBO Max or I'm a streaming service, I am talking to those films that I'm going to do the split with. I'll say because I'm thinking now that I think about it, the Pixar films could be especially interesting just because you had Soul come out at the end of last year. Fantastic film, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Luca, which came out first half of this year, first quarter of this year, something like that. But both Pixar films that were originally scheduled to come out in theaters, but because of the pandemic, completely skipped the theater and Disney just put them straight out on Disney+. Plus. They put them straight out without the pe- the premium package. See, I, th- I think that that's going to be the other factor in this. Right, one. but if they have something in their contracts, because if, no, if I'm not mistaken, Jamie Foxx is the main voice yes, in, in, Soul. In, in Soul. If Jamie Foxx has got a clause in his contract that says, I'm going to do get paid X amount of dollars for this movie, but in turn, you're going to give me Y percent of the box office cut, and he didn't get that box office cut because they didn't go to the box office. All of a sudden, Jamie Foxx has got a case. I mean, this is, like I said, it's uncharted water, and this is going to be something to definitely keep an eye on moving forward. And I mean, because if you look at it, the letter, just the plain black and white, if it says in your contract that I will get paid, like if you are studio head of, I don't know, of Sony, mm-hmm. whoever, and I'm your actor in the movie, and I say, all right, you will pay me. $9 million to do the movie, but in turn, you're going to give me 3% of the box office cut. Pandemic hits. Delay the movie for a year. And then you finally put the movie out on whatever streaming service it ends up out on. Completely, but it still goes out in the theater. If I didn't if I didn't get my percentage of that, or if it even bypassed the, the, the theater and went straight to streaming, if I'm contracted for a certain percentage of mm-hmm. that film... What it gets at the box office, and I don't get it, that's a breach of contract. It's a very big breach of contract. Like I said, this is going to be a case to watch, and the dominoes that fall after could really change the shape of how they do business in Hollywood. This is an absolutely wild case to follow. And we know Feige's not happy about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so reading from an article on IGN.com, the headline reads, Marvel's Kevin Feige reportedly angry and embarrassed at Disney over Scarlett Johansson lawsuit. Uh, Article reads, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige is reportedly angry and embarrassed over Disney's response to the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit, feeling the company did not do enough to make it right with one one of Marvel's biggest stars. In the What I'm Hearing newsletter from former Hollywood reporter editor Matthew Baloney, uh, Feige apparently lobbied Disney to keep Black Widow a theatrical-only release not to upset Johansson. Quote, Feige is a company man and prone to corporate showdowns or shouting matches, but I'm told he's angry and embarrassed, Baloney reports. Uh, he lobbied Disney against the day-and-date plan for Black Widow, preferring the big screen exclusive exclusivity and not wanting to upset his talent, close quote. Furthermore, the report says that uh, when, quote, the shit hit the fan, the movie started tanking and Johansson's team threatened litigation. 
Feige tried to get Disney to make this right with her, close quote. Interesting times, man. I know Feige, he probably sees the writing on the wall, especially with Shang-Chi coming out. Uh-huh. How is that going to fly? Shang-Chi, Eternals. <sighs> this is going to be a PR nightmare. And that's, on top of whatever, and that's on top of whatever else Disney's got coming out this year. Exactly. Disney has better get this wrapped up very quickly. I, I fear they drag this out in the court. You imagine the PR. Amazon better be watching this with a certain uh, Bond movie coming out later oh, this year. Oh, yeah. You want to fucking fight on your hands? Oh, boy. This is going to be domino effects for the entire film industry. lot to discuss, and you know we're going to have our eyes on it here on the ODPH, but definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your take of Scarlett Johansson versus Disney? Whose side are you taking and why? Let's discuss, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the OTPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for those one shots? Oh, you first we got an update uh, on the Bob Odenkirk situation uh, because, as we mentioned last week, uh, he was taken to the hospital because of a heart condition. Nobody was quite sure what was going on. Uh, his son, Nate Odenkirk, uh, tweeted out on the 28th of July, he's going to be okay. So that was definitely good news. But the man himself, Bob Odenkirk, uh, did tweet out on July 30th, Hi, it's Bob. Thank you to my family and friends who have surrounded me this week uh, and for the outpouring of love from everyone who expressed concern and care for me. It's overwhelming, but I feel the love and it means so much. I had a small heart attack, but I'm going to be okay thanks to Rosa Estrada and the doctors who knew how to fix the blockage without surgery. Also, AMC and Sony's support and help throughout this has been next level. I'm going to take a beat uh, to recover, but I'll be back soon. Close quote. So definitely great news to hear Bob is okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, definitely worried and concerned about that, but you know, wishing him a very speedy recovery. Absolutely. I mean, it was scary to hear what happened, but to see yeah. he's on the road back, it's awesome news to hear. So uh, continuous positive thoughts and energy going out to him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, switching over to the Amazon Lord of the Rings series, uh, we got a first look image and a release date. And I can also say uh, they announced yesterday as we record that they have finished filming. Uh, so it's all said and done. Uh, it was announced by Amazon Studios that the series will premiere on September 2nd, 2022, uh, exclusively on Amazon Prime. New episodes will premiere every week. Uh, in a press release, Amazon has finally announced uh, when folks will return to Middle-Earth as the company preps its Lord of the Rings series to premiere in 2022. The series will be available to stream in more than 240 countries and territories worldwide. Uh, the company also confirmed that it will take a weekly episodic approach to the Lord of the Rings, though it's not immediately clear how many ep new episodes will be released each week. Amazon also provided the first official image from the series. A source familiar with the series tells IGN that the shot is from the first episode of the series but it's unknown who the character is or what the setting is the series also still doesn't have a name uh, so, and then we have an updated plot synopsis, uh, which reads, quote, the new epic drama brings to screens for the very first time J.R.R. Tolkien's fabled second age of Middle-earth's history. Beginning in a time of relative peace, thousands of years before the events of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and of The Lord of the Rings books, the series follows an ensemble cast of characters both familiar and new, as they confront the long-feared reemergence of evil to Middle-earth, close quote. Uh, 
Amazon Studios head Jennifer uh, Selk said, quote, I can't express enough just how excited we all are we all are to take our global audience on a new and epic journey through Middle Earth, close quote. Showrunners J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay added, as Bilbo says, now I think I am quite ready to go on another journey. Living and breathing Middle Earth uh, these many months has been the adventure of a lifetime. We cannot wait for fans to have the chance to do so as well, close quote. Uh, it has been the, now the the show has been in production in New Zealand for months, uh, filming the new series. Uh, and as we previously said on a uh, previous podcast, they went on so long. Some of the cast members and crew didn't know when they'd be finished. Yeah. Uh, but we do know that the filming is done. They say the image looks absolutely gorgeous. No idea where it is, but I have a shrinking suspicion. I have a hunch who the person is in the shot. Okay. Uh, they did say uh, in the uh, bit that I read that it will introduce us to uh, an ensemble cast of characters, both familiar and new. All right, familiar. So that would lead you to believe it's somebody. No, the the second age. It's a long period of time. Uh, the second, first age, second age, and third age in Lord of the Rings all all last thousands and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only one specific race of of folks in Middle Earth who can live that long. And there was even one person specifically alive in the second age, uh, well, two, but one we've seen on screen. Uh, one was Elrond. Okay. Uh, I doubt we'll see him just because the actor has, uh, you know, has said that he's done playing that character. So I doubt we'll see him on screen. But it could be a different actor playing a younger version of him. No, sure. No. My guess is in this character it is Galadriel. Okay. Because she's a, she's really old. She's been around a long time. And just given the way the character looks, that it's the white wispy robe, you know, I'm guessing it's probably Galadriel. And so my guess is we will see some of the uh, uh, elves that we are familiar with seeing from, you know, you know, uh, the Lord of the Rings films, maybe even the Hobbit films, and possibly even some wizards. You never know. Well, I tell you, you're the authority on this. So if you say it looks good, I'm going to say with it. I mean, from what I little I know of it, yeah, I, I'm definitely promised by it. Like, it the pri- definitely, it's something to look forward to. And, and it looks like the money they're spending on the show, like the billion dollar price tag, is well worth the price because that one shot is fucking gorgeous. Yes. Oh my god, I cannot wait. Next year uh, in September cannot come soon enough. Uh, switching over to some news that I did not know was a thing, but I'm kind of excited for. Uh, there is an upcoming Avatar: The Last Airbender and Korra. Uh, the uh, uh, Avatar Korra uh, tabletop RPG game uh, that in one day uh, raised on Kickstarter $1 million. Jeez. Uh, They had a goal. uh, So if you go to their Kickstarter page, uh, they had pledged a goal of $50,000. As of this recording, and the numbers actually jumped since I opened the page, uh, as I speak, they have out of the $50,000 goal, they have $1,743,900 pledged to said project. Uh, And it's almost at and it just went up probably about another five bucks. Uh, so, yep, yeah, no, it just went up another. Yeah, it's, it's still going. Up. It's climbing as we're talking. It's this climbing is as nuts. we're talking. It's in, it's insane. And it still has 29 days to go. So, yeah, this whole it's it's met its goal. So this will happen. It's, it's kind of cool and kind of awesome. Just clearly showing that the fan base for Avatar, all things Avatar, The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra are still high and going. 
Yeah, I'm definitely shocked by this when you show me the page. I'm like, are you kidding me? They just asked for 50k and got a mil seven of 1.7 million in a day, Jeez. and it's still going up. And it still had, yep, it just crossed uh, over 100 dollars. So it's a one one million seven hundred forty four thousand one hundred eighty dollars. This is wild. It's insane. Uh, switching over to some video game stuff, uh, you have the uh, 2K is set to reveal a new franchise later this month. Uh, reading from an article on IGN, it says, quote, We already know Take-Two Interactive's subsidiaries have a slew of projects in the works, and today we know that Take-Two subsidiary 2K has a new franchise in the works, and it's slated to be revealed later this month. According to Take-Two's first quarter earnings reports, the uh, 2K's new franchise will be unveiled this month with confirmation that the game will launch sometime during this fiscal year. For context, that means this new original game will launch anywhere between now and March 31st, 2022. Uh, the new franchise reveal is part of four immersive core releases planned for the 2022 fiscal year from Take-Two Interactive, which also features, which also includes NBA 2K22, uh, WWE 2K2022, uh, and then from 2K and Visual Concepts and Tiny Tina's uh, Wonderlands from Gearbox Software. That's the spinoff of the Borderlands franchise. Okay. Uh, but Take-Two also has some other games slated to come out this f- in this fiscal year, including the independent tubu- uh, 2D skateboarding game Ali Ali World, 10 mobile games, in addition to six new iterations of prior releases, including GTA V for Xbox Series X slash S and PS5, a standalone release of GTA Online, Kerbal Space Program Enhanced Edition, as well as three games that have yet to be officially announced. Uh, looking into the 20 future beyond the 2022 fiscal year, Take-Two Interactive has also has additional games coming from its subsidiaries. This includes a new entry in the Bioshock franchise from Cloud Chamber. Fucking give it to me. Uh, and rumors suggest that a new entry in G- Grand Theft Auto may release within the next few years, and by next few years, like, the next four. Because they're not saying that one's not ready until 2025. That's wild. Yeah, I can't wait. 2K makes some great games. Borderlands is fantastic. Bioshock's amazing. So if it's a, if it's a story-based thing, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, the story-based stuff is always cool. I'm just hoping they give me a little better WWE game. That's true. The last one was hot garbage. Yeah. And not I'm not a, talking the arcade one. I'm talking the actual, like, 2K game. Yeah, a lot of improvement can be made there. Uh-huh. In my opinion. Yep. Uh, and then uh, looking at some Loki news, well, we got some in- interesting information from the showrunner. Uh, reading from an article on IGN.com, says Loki showrunner Michael Waldron uh, has revealed several unused plans for scenes in Loki, including detailing the previously mentioned scenes in which the cre- uh, character had a lot of sex and a fight scene that would have ended with laser-mounted and a laser-armored ma- laser-mounted armadillo getting punted. Uh, so, and let's slice spoilers for episode one and three, but Hey, at this point you should know. Yeah. Uh, so speaking on the Ringerverse podcast, Waldron was asked about unused ideas for the time hopping series and particularly for details about a scene we had previously learned about in a Loki making of feature. The feature included a shot of Waldron's planning whiteboard for the show, which seemed to indicate plans for a scene in which Loki would collect the infinity stones and then have quite a lot of sex. Quote, it's any writer's nightmare that their whiteboard is photographed at any time because it, it's just pure chaos written on those things. But there you have it. That whiteboard plan was a little 8-beat mini-story that we were exploring, Waldron explained. Perhaps playing out after Loki escapes from the Time Theater in Episode 1, we were wondering what would be it would it be compelling if he actually escaped the TVA with a handful of Infinity Stones and went and kind of had all of his dreams come true? Waldron explains that the scene would have been a Rick and Morty style montage of Loki with the Infinity Gauntlet, and then at the end of it, 
uh, it's just kind of like, what does it matter? The TVA exists. They're the greatest power. Ultimately, we were able to achieve that much more gracefully just with him looking at the chrono monitor. Uh, and I think that was much better. A little startlingly, Waldron went on to describe a scene that is even stranger than that aborted plan. Quote, once upon a time, the opening of episode three, when Sylvia is attempting to infiltrate Hunter C-20's mind, that actually turned into kind of a fight sequence where the TVA has defenses in place. So there's people in the memory uh, and the beach bar actually turned on Sylvie and were attacking her and it got crazier and crazier. And there were little kids attacking her. And then I literally wrote in that an armadillo with a mounted with a laser mounted on it comes into the beach bar and is firing and Sylvie kicks it like a soccer ball out into the ocean. That was in the script. Close quote. Uh, rather than just finding a more elegant solution, Waldron implies that uh, the scene was toned down for being too bizarre, even for the show. Kevin Feige often references that to me, Waldron laughed. He's like, that might be the bar for being too much, close quote. Gotta agree with that. Yeah. That's a little push in the line right there. Yeah. Uh, Waldron also explains that there were multiple versions of the same major events within episodes, pointing to another major element of episode three as an example, in which Loki accidentally destroys the Tempad that would be able to get he and Sylvie off, off of a doomed planet. There was a fun version once upon a time where the train was raided by bandits. You know, people kind of rebelling. The proletariat here on this planet, uh, one of them uh, stole the Tempad off Loki, and we still had the bit where Loki throws the dagger and misses, and one of these bandits away uh, onto a hovercraft. They're like 100 yards away, and Sylvie's like, fuck, they got away. And Loki just takes the dagger and he's kind of drunk and he just Tom Brady's it and it sails, sails and hits the guy in the back. And Toki's like, Loki's like, yes, we never shot this, but this is how it was in the script. And then you just see the hovercraft veer off the, uh, off the side of a canyon and just explode. That would have been fun just because it was a moment of great triumph for him, followed by, you just blew up the tempad, you asshole, close quote. That is some wild behind the scenes. I would have right loved there. to see some stuff of that. That that sounds really fucking funny. Yeah, I mean, you just when you think Loki can't get any more crazier, uh huh. We find ways. Yeah, insane. Yeah, absolutely insane. Uh, so, and then we got some Borderlands uh, movie news, and specifically why Edgar uh, Ramirez says uh, fans such as myself uh, of the game should be excited. Uh, the so article from IGN reads: Edgar Ramirez, who is set to play Atlas in the upcoming Borderlands movie, has shared why fans of the games should be excited for this upcoming adaptation. Uh, Ramirez, who is also playing Aguirre in uh, Jungle Cruise, uh, was speaking to Cinema Blend and discussed how he is not much of a gamer and wasn't too familiar with Borderlands before landing the role. However, he quickly fell in love with the film's tone and combination of humor and darkness. "Quote: In the end, games, movies, it's all about storytelling." And the most iconic games, such as Borderlands, is the storytelling and the tone of the games. What have made them so special? So now I know the game, I didn't know it before, and the tone is spectacular. I mean, it's so dark and so witty and so whimsical as well. It's so in on the joke and kind of like impundent. There's a I don't give a damn attitude to the game, and that's what we rescue, uh, rescued and put into the movie uh, so i'm very excited for the fans of the game to see it and how respectful we were to the tone of the game close quote uh so that at least kind of gives me some optimism about the film we know movies history with video game adaptations uh, ever they're usually not good and and i am a very much a fan of these games i played every single iteration some multiple times so i've got a lot of close connections with this game and i want it to do well because if done well this movie can be amazing 
it's got potential to do everything right, but like you hit the nail on the head there. Video games don't usually translate to the big screen that well. Mm-hmm. There are some exceptions. Ratchet and Clank. But overall, yeah, no. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it, though, because if, if you've, an actor on the movie who wasn't familiar with the games, became got the role, became familiar with the games, and says, no, we captured the, the tone of the games, I'm like, all right. I might be slightly more. Well, it's a good sign when they decide to get that involved. So I got to yeah. say that, you know, because you want to have everybody passionate about it and do the damn thing. So mm-hmm. I get it. And you know what? Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, we got some interesting and quite frankly, some surprising news. Uh, Taika Waititi's working on a Flash Gordon movie. And it's live action. Aww. Uh-huh. Defenders of the Universe. Uh, article from IGN reads, Taika Waititi's animated Flash Gordon project is being reworked into a live action feature. While, promote, uh, while promoting Disney's latest film, Jungle Cruise, producer John Davis shared that Waititi has changed his approach to his sci-fi adaptation of the influential comic strip. Quote, the 1980 Flash Gordon is one of uh, Waititi's favorite movies, Davis told Collider. He initially said to me, let's do it animated. I said, okay. Then we got into it and started developing it. And he said, no, let's do it live action. I said, even better. Uh, Waititi has spoken about his adoration for the 1980 adaptation of Flash Gordon before. While guesting on Joe and Anthony Russo's Instagram series, Pizza Film School, Waititi cited the Sam J. Jones starring space opera as one of the primary influences for his 2017 Marvel film, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, while Waititi has been has a busy schedule ahead between the upcoming release of his soccer comedy Next Goal Wins and post production work on Thor: Love and Thunder, Davis is confident that the director will return to Flash Gordon sooner rather than later, citing how involved Waititi is with the project already. Uh, Waititi quote Waititi is writing it, so when somebody writes a script they're, that they're going to direct, they're obviously going to really like the script, right? So you get a big leg up, right? Uh, we've been through the development process, not the writing process, but he's laid out in great detail the characters, the movie, the way in, what it's about, the tone, all of that stuff. Look, he does a lot of movies, right? Believe it or not, he can do a couple of movies a year, close quote. Well, I tell you what, when this thing drops, it's going to be absolutely batshit crazy. Uh-huh. I'm excited for it. Like, I'm telling you, the first one is just... Weird. Good, bad, weird. Like it's eighties. It's eighties. It's Flash. Uh, written and sung by Queen. Yes, which is fantastic. I yeah. mean, that's wonderful. Like, like I said, there's a lot of wind that's gonna be here, and this is a character that's completely up Tyka's. It's one. It's one alley of there. the eighties movie is one of those movies that like you can't watch by yourself. You have to get a group of people together. Oh yeah, like this is gonna be. This isn't like a oh I want to go back and watch some of the movies from yesteryear. Like no, this is one of those movies that like you can watch from yesteryear, but get a group of friends together. This might be one of the situations we have a watch party for uh, Six or Seven Podcast there you on go. Twitch. This might be up there. Pad will be joining us for that one. I'd be down for it. All right, we got him on record. He's going to show up for that one. Uh, but yeah, a lot of win for that one. Yeah, I can't wait to see what he does. Yeah, uh, and then switching over to my comic picks this week. It's a light week. Uh, you've got Avengers issue number forty-seven, uh, where the description reads: "World War She-Hulk rages on. The Red Room is the secret furnace where some of the world's greatest assassins and super killers have been forged, and now She-Hulk is the newest recruit. As the Avengers race to rescue Jen Walters from the Russian Winter Guard, is it too late to save She-Hulk from going red?" Uh, you've got uh, Batman issue number 111 coming out this week, uh, which reads uh, Mayor Nakano announces a crackdown on mask vigilantes just as the magistrate moves against the uh, Unsanity Collective. Batman attempts to avert a bloodbath while the Scarecrow makes his final move. Fear State is about to begin. Uh, backup Ghostmaker faces his most gruesome adversary yet, the horrific Razorline. 
Uh, and then lastly, you've got Justice League issue number 66, which reads, The Hall of Justice has been invaded by the cosmic threat of the Sinmar Utopica, and it will take the full force of the United Planets, led by Superman, to defeat it without destroying Earth in the process. Meanwhile, the secrets of Checkmate are being whispered among the Justice League, and that spells trouble for Green Arrow and Black Canary. All this in guest star Deathstroke, uh, meanwhile, in Gotham, Batman stands watch as the Eternal Knight continues her quest through the maze of Rander Singh's mind, and she's not the only one lost within it. Uh, but where there, where is the Justice League dark in all of this? Under the sea in the lost city of Atlantis, Merlin is ready to rule, and it's up to Aquaman and the, uh, this band of magical misfits to save the entire kingdom. Uh, listen, folks, it's written by Brian Michael Bendis. It's 31 pages. It's going to be good. A lot of interesting books out this week. The Avengers one sounds absolutely wild with She-Hulk. Uh-huh. Yeah, as if She-Hulk already ain't dangerous enough. Let's make her even more dangerous. Yeah, and I did catch the Justice League one, too. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything with that. All right. But it is well picking up, well worth the time picking up at the shop. Uh, and for mine, I got to give a shout-out to Boom Studios, who have now just added the ODPH podcast to their press list. hey So we are going to start being, reviewing their books as we do for Valiant, Scout, and vault when they send them to us uh, on Parlay Point. So definitely want to shout the first one you did, Basilic, number three, which is written by Cullen Bunn. You might have heard his name mm. mentioned once or twice. Shadow Man, writer extraordinary, and he does so much other stuff too, like trying to really lock in what he does. It would take me a whole entire podcast, but it would be well worth it. And Jonas Scharf is on the art for this. Book is absolutely wild. Mm. I am showing Pad the cover as we are talking because oh I want my Lord. I want his honest reaction because it, Jesus it, H Mary and Joseph. It's a wild book, uh, which is going to end very very crazy. And I just want to say, like, if you are into the supernatural a little bit mixed in with uh, a little touch of just. I don't want to say superpowers individuals because, I mean, this is not a superhero story by any means, but it's a group that when they're given powers, they have no regard. And I'm just going to say it's up to uh, one of their members and a uh, victim of the group to stop them. Mm. It's a wild, wild ride. If you're looking for something different at the comic shops, definitely go pick it up. Boom has got a real, real solid book on this uh, with Basilic. And I just got to say, like, if you are not jumping on now, get on board. Like I said, Chapter 3 is coming right out. You can definitely go track down 1 and 2 and get the full story of, of the Chimera and how absolutely insane they are. And like I said, it goes back to the point I said in the blog, with great powers comes no regard, and you see where the story goes because, holy smokes, they got a hit on their hands. Mm. So let's keep it comics from my one-shots. Uh, Scout Comics sent out a press release to us. Pat, are you familiar with Ranger Stranger? No. Uh, I am not too familiar with it, but I just started kind of shooting some stuff around ODPH social media. Got a little feedback, so it is a web comic that is definitely making some rounds. And according to the article on comicbook.com, that the, quote, popular webcomic Stranger Ranger is heading to print. Scout is bringing the darkly hilarious adventures of deranged forest ranger Garland Woodburn to print this November with an all-new graphic novel. 
Uh, the comic is currently available on Instagram right now with new posts happening every Friday. So this is the first time it's coming into print. Hmm. I'm looking at some of the promotional stuff for it, and, I mean, this picture kind of says it all, which I'm assuming is going to be oh boy, the cover of the first issue for Scout. Probably. Uh, so definitely you want to go check that out and definitely check out the webcomic and let me know what you think of this because this kind of looks big. Anytime a comic is coming off the web to print, it's always a big deal for me. Like, it just kind of stands out. So definitely want to take a look at this when it's coming out and definitely check out everything that you got going on over at Scout and Boom too. So definitely shout out to them. And then we had a quick uh, little TV show slash MCU news uh-huh. that we do know, obviously, Hawkeye is debuting November 24th. Oh, yeah. So we definitely want to keep locked and loaded on that for Disney+. Plus. We'll definitely be talking about that when the show comes out. And we do know that What If is dropping next week. So, oh, yeah. So we'll have some stuff to talk about on next week's podcast. But one MCU actor is not involved with the project. Oh. And that's one Dave Batista, mm. who a fan asked him if he was voicing a character on Twitter. And Dave's response is, well, it may start with, they didn't ask me. Didn't I read also that uh, Robert Downey Jr. is not doing Iron Man as well? Correct. Okay. So they don't have everybody from the MCU locked and loaded for the show, but they did get a good majority of the MCU actors to reprise their roles. All right. So next week, obviously, that first episode is going to hit. We'll have yeah. some stuff to talk about here on the ODPH about it. The release of that will be interesting just to see whether they go in theatrical release or chronological release. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's going to be anybody's guess. It's not like it matters. It's not like it's an overarching story. Well, you know, they, they're, the rumor going back and forth I'm reading is, is a canon. Uh, I've heard from the one of the showrunners it is. Well, it's like, how are you doing that with the multiverse? But then, you know, we'll have to watch and see. Because what if has always just been the parallel universes of famous Marvel stories throughout time? Yeah. So to see how this plays out is going to be anybody's guess. And then to close out, we did get some casting news. And, uh-huh. I, and I hope I pronounce this name right because he does such a fantastic job on Cobra Kai. Sholo Madrena mm-hmm. has been cast as Jaime Reyes in the new Blue Beetle movie coming hey. to HBO Max. All right. Uh, love the casting. Love this. So this should be interesting. When it comes out, we don't have a timetable about when this right. movie is going to start going in production. This got announced during the Suicide Squad premiere because mm. Madrena and the writer on the movie, I believe, uh, was or whoever's working on the script was there at the premiere and they did break it. Okay. So I'm, I'm excited about this. I, he does an awesome job on Cobra Kai. If you haven't watched Cobra Kai, like you don't know what you're missing it is just captures that 80 vibe to such a different level. And he's perfect to, to play Rays. So I am excited to see him on the screen and see what he does because this is going to be a new Uncharted Water for HBO Max yeah. to see all these films coming out because we do know they have some other projects coming down yep. the line. Yep. And just to see where they go from there is going to be definitely something to see because, like I say, this is going to be a next phase for the DCU moving forward. Jaime Reyes is going to be a big part of that. And the See the Blue Beetle movie, give it to me. Sign me up. So that all being said, Pad, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that of Shout at the Robots. They're fantastic people. They got a lot of stuff going on. They got a kick-ass Patreon and so much more. Pat, if I want to find out more about them, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You head on over to the music section. You check out everything going on with Shout. You check on everything going on with Tom Jolu, who has a freaking fantastic album out right now. You check out Second Suitor, who, Pat, do you know where they're playing Friday night? Uh, the X at the uh, mall. Yes. So if you're locally in the 607, the Second Suitor is invading the X 
in the Oakdale Mall. We're going to see how long uh, Moose and company can stay in the mall with how loud they might get. Yep, and we have heard rumor that there might be a match between Tyler and and our good friend Sean Carr. I'll say Sean Carr has been working out lately. I saw him at the gym the other day. Yeah, so so Tyler had better rely on his speed and quickness to survive because I don't know how that's going to play out. But you should definitely go check them out if you're local. If not, we'll definitely be having some social media pictures going on for him because I know I'm going to be at the show. Rich from 3FN is going down. Going to be a lot of people in the house for that night. Uh, Also, while you're on the music section, obviously go support Brian Wolf, Yard Party, Floodlands, all the amazing acts you hear on the ODPH. We can't shout them out enough. But while you're at the website, swing on over to the classifieds where you can check out friends of the show, such as Dragon Master Games. You can check out everything going on with Excite Wrestling, Speak of the Devils, because they got a show, a real show happening this Saturday. So that's going to be something. Uh, sorry, we're open is the name of the card, ExciteWrestling.com for more information on that. We have organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter. We have all the amazing pod groups we are in via their Podchaser pages, because frankly, if you're in a pod group, and you're not on Podchaser, you're not in a pod group. I'm sorry, I'm just putting it out there. So get stepping to it. Because we definitely want to plug everybody that's in the Apocalypse, everybody who's in the Inner Circle, and everybody who's in 607 Podcasts. So definitely shout out our good friends over at 8122 Productions, Rich, Ron, Mike C., and of course, hashtag Big Natty Cool. He's still on Twitter, Pat. Oh, boy. He's still giving you all that heat that we can't talk about because it's not behind a paywall. But if you want to find out what's going on, patreon.com slash 8122productions. When another gets indoors, three dollars gets you comfy seat at the table. Anything else I don't want to know about. I don't want to be held liable because it's not my business. All of that, the T Public Store on sale this week, Pad. Oh so boy. If you want to get some merch, like I said, that Parlay Club shirt would be a great thing if you're heading to New York Comic Con. Just put that out there. All that and so much more. ODPHpodcast.com. That's all for this week. So for the one and only Paddle One J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.